0: Come to that well known uh, passage of the rich young ruler. So Luke chapter eighteen, and we'll begin to read at verse eighteen. Luke eighteen, verse eighteen. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who are Who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children. For the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Amen. And we know God always blesses the reading of his own inspired word. One occasion, Amy Carmichael, the missionary, was introduced to a Hindu princess who had expressed an interest in becoming a Christian when she heard the missionary speak. And as the conversation developed, she kept pushing on what was necessary for salvation. Just tell me, she said, what I must do to be saved. Amy Carmichael tried to deflect her by telling her that she should wait until she understood what was involved. But she replied, I can't wait. I must know now. What must I do to be saved? But Amy insisted on reading to her passages that spoke of the cost of discipleship, And as she did, the face of the Hindu princess, in uh, Amy's own words, became sorrowful. So far I must follow, she said. So far. And as Amy read on, she said, I cannot follow so far. I cannot. She hadn't understood the cost of following Jesus. And when she did understand the cost of following Jesus, it was a price that she wasn't prepared to pay. And she left Amy Carmichael with great sorrow because she left in her sin and without salvation. Now in Luke 18, we have a man who comes to Jesus seeking eternal life, but like that Hindu princess, leaves with great sorrow and again without salvation. Now the reason he leaves is a little bit more complicated than that of the Hindu princess, but both come seeking salvation and both leave without salvation. Amy Carmichael's colleagues accused her of missing a golden opportunity in seeing somebody who was so influential brought uh, into the kingdom. And I'm sure the disciples of Jesus frankly felt the same, disappointed with Jesus. Had Jesus not called them to be fishers of men? Well, here was the opportunity to land a big fish. And yet he leaves without salvation. So here is a man of influence, a man of means, a man of standing in the society, and instead of landing that fish, he goes from Jesus without salvation. Matthew tells us this man was young. Mark tells us he was rich, and Luke tells us he was a ruler. When you put all that together, you get the designation that he's known and identified by the rich young ruler. Now, why did Jesus let this man go? Well, I want you to notice four things. First of all, uh, notice the question that was asked. Look at verse 18. Uh, a certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice the question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That question would have excited many a modern-day preacher into a flurry of evangelistic activity. Come into the inquiry room, read the four spiritual laws, pray this prayer, and then they would announce to the man and to the congregation that he had been saved, and if he had been in America, they would have flipped open the baptistry, baptized him that very moment, brought him into church membership, and uh, had him sitting at the Lord's table at the evening service. But Jesus doesn't do that. He probes this man in order to expose the uh, condition of his heart. Why do you call me good, Jesus answered, for no one is good but God alone. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus become a theological nitpicker, um, confrontational at best, caustic at worst, and put this man off seeking salvation. He had so much going for him. He came at the right time. Matthew tells us he was young. You couldn't have come at a better time. When you're young, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes. He came with all of his life to offer Jesus. He wasn't uh, coming at the end of his life, with the fag end of his life. He had all of his life to give to Jesus. He came at the right time. He came to the right person. He came to Jesus. He understood at least something of the uniqueness of Jesus in, in granting eternal life, and granting salvation, so he comes to Jesus. He came at the right time. He came to the right person. He came in the right attitude we're told that he addressed Jesus in the most respectful of terms. Good teacher, he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Mark tells us he came running. There was a passion about him. There was an enthusiasm about him. Mark tells us that he fell on his knees. He was reverent in front of Jesus. He came at the right time. He came to the right person. He came in the right attitude. And fourthly, he came at the right, with the right desire. He wanted eternal life. Even as a young man, he desired to know where he would go when he died. And that's not always a characteristic found in young people. Young people tend to push eternal issues, death issues, into the future because they don't want to think about them. They have all of their life, they think, spreading out in front of them. But here's a young man. And he's concerned about what happens when he, he he dies. So he came at the right time. He came in the right attitude. He came to the right person. He came with the right desire. And yet our Lord rebukes him and says, Why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Because you see, although he came at the right time and it came in the right attitude, to the right person, with the right desire, he asked the wrong question. Do you see that? What must I do, that's the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Do you see what his problem was? He had a works view of salvation. He believed that there was something that he could do to merit eternal life, to secure for himself eternal life. He believed that God has this great set of moral scales in eternity he puts your good deeds in one side, your bad deeds in the other. As long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you're in. And he was looking for that one thing that would tip the scales uh, in his favor. And so Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You see, we think in terms of 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 good as um, being nice or fine, that was a, a good meal or Um, I remember on one occasion we had Stuart Olliott visiting with us, a preacher from England, and uh, I think Matthew had been watching too many Australian uh, soap operas because uh, Stuart Olliott said, How are you, Matthew? And he says, Good. And Stuart Olliott says, You're not good. You're a wicked, depraved, rotten sinner. Because, Because that good, term good in Bible, has a moral quality, a moral dimension to it. And Jesus says, no one is good but God alone. Now, of course, Jesus was good because he was God, but that man did not know that he was God. He was simply a teacher to him. And really he was saying to Jesus, not only are you good, but he was saying, I am good. And so Jesus has to deal with him and expose his sin to him. So, although he came at the right time, in the right attitude, to the right person, with the right desire, he asked the wrong question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The question that was asked. The second thing I want you to notice is the sin that was exposed. This young man thinks that moral goodness is attainable and that eternal life can be secured through a person's goodness. So Jesus answers him according to his understanding, and he says in verse 20, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Okay, Jesus says, you think that through goodness you can attain eternal life? Well, you know the commandments. You must keep all of the commandments, and Jesus sets before him the second half of the moral law of God, the second tablet of the law. And he is doing that to show that he's not good and that he can never be good enough uh, for God. Now, our order is slightly different than it is in the text. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. The sixth, do not murder. The seventh, do not commit adultery. The eighth, do not steal. The ninth, do not give false testimony. Do you know, Do you see? see what Jesus is doing? He, he says, okay, you think that there's something you can do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commandments. Keep these commandments. But he has already said, no one is good but God alone. But notice how this young man responds in verse 21. He says, these I have kept from my youth. Really? How many people here have kept all of the Ten Commandments since their youth? Put up your hand. Anybody, anybody bold enough or brassy enough to say? None of us would say that. But we mustn't doubt the sincerity of this young man. He, he had kept the commandments externally, outwardly. He thought, as long as I don't sleep with another man's wife, I haven't violated the seventh commandment. As long as I haven't gone out and put a a dagger through a man's heart, I have kept the sixth commandment. But remember Jesus says, if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already committed adultery in his uh, heart. If he has hatred in his heart, he's already violated the sixth commandment. That the ten commandments don't only apply to our outward behavior, but our inward attitude. And this man thinks that he has kept all of the commandments externally. Now, what commandment did Jesus not mention and quote and cite to this young man? The second tablet of the law, he quotes the, uh, from verse, uh, from the, the fifth commandment right through. Which one did he not mention? Anybody know? What's the last commandment? You shall not covet. Now, out of all the commandments, that's the commandment that applies specifically to the heart, to the inward man. Now, we know that all the Ten Commandments, if you look lustfully, if you have hatred, they all apply to the inward man. But that that Tenth Commandment is the one that applies specifically to the heart. And so Jesus, with surgeon-like precision, says, go sell all that you have and then come and follow me. He put his finger on his sin. You find the same with Paul. Paul says in Philippians when he's giving his testimony, as far as legalistic righteousness was concerned, he says, I was faultless. I didn't violate the sixth commandment. I didn't violate the seventh commandment. I didn't violate the eighth commandment. He says, I was faultless until Romans 7 He read, you shall not covet. And he realized that the law goes much deeper than our outward behavior, but to our heart. And that's what Jesus is doing to this. You've really kept the commandments? Really? What about the 10th commandment? Go sell all you have, then come and follow me. Do you see what Jesus is doing? He is exposing This man's sin, he's showing him that he is a sinner, not only in conduct, but he is a sinner in his heart, that he had a covetous heart, that he loved his riches more than God, that he he was prepared to sacrifice eternity for the, the present, that he had a sin problem in his heart. You have sinned, says Jesus. What must I do? Nothing. There's nothing you can do because there is no one good enough for God. I'm good. I've kept all the commandments, really, says Jesus. Go sell all you have. Those riches hold you. Now, Jesus isn't saying that every follower of his must give up their wealth and and, uh, and, and sell all and give to the poor and follow He's not saying that. He's dealing with this man in particular, and he's showing him that he was a sinner right at the very core of his being. And maybe somebody here this morning is saying, what must I do? I want to tell you this morning, there's nothing you can do. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. There's no work that you can engage in. There is no right that you can observe. There is is no charity that you can extend that will secure your place in heaven. You cannot do it because sin goes to the very core of our being. The question that was asked, the sin that was exposed, the miracle, thirdly, that was required. In verse 23, uh, we have one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible When he heard these things, he became very sad because he had great wealth. In other words, when confronted with his sin, he was unwilling to deal with his sin. And so he turned and walked away from Jesus. He was unwilling to deal with his covetous heart. And there are many people like him that will turn from Jesus because they want their sin rather than Jesus. They would prefer to separate themselves from Jesus than from their sin. Now look at what Jesus says there in verses 24 and 25. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man or a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I'm sure you've heard people down through the years say that the eye of a needle was the name of a gate into Jerusalem that was open all night when the main gates were closed. And the only way that a camel could enter into that small pedestrian entrance was on its knees. Uh, uh, there was no way that a camel would fit through uh, that um, aperture. Um, have you heard that? the eye of the needle was a gate into Jerusalem, bunkum. There's not one shred of historical or linguistic evidence for that, to support that claim. Jesus meant what he said. The camel was the largest animal known to a Jew, and the eye of the needle was the smallest aperture known to a Jew. And Jesus is saying, it's hard, it's impossible for the rich to enter the, the kingdom. Impossible. Now, to the disciples that were listening, that was revolutionary. Riches in the mind of the Jews was a sign of blessing. But like uh, J.D. Rockefeller, the wealthiest man who ever lived, who, who said that uh, believed that his riches were a sign of blessing, he said, It's like a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, the Jews taught that. And so they asked, Who then can be saved? If the rich. Uh, aren't saved, and they're living under the blessing of God. Who then can be saved? Now notice how Jesus responds in verse 27. What is impossible with man is possible with God. Do you see that? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Salvation is impossible in and of yourselves. The rich man with an idolatrous heart. The respectful man with a lustful heart. The family man with a rebellious heart. The loving man with a bitter heart. The the good living man with an idolatrous heart. Salvation is impossible. Listen to Jesus. Salvation is impossible with man. He cannot save himself. He cannot pass through the eye of a needle, but not with God. Salvation is possible with Him. He can save. He can grant eternal life. Because man is a sinner, he cannot save himself. He can never be good enough for God because no one is good but God alone. What must I do, you say? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that you can do to secure salvation, to secure eternal life, but it is possible with God. J. I. Packer says, grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Salvation. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. We are never and will never be good enough for God. No one is good but God alone. But Jesus was good. Was good. He was holy in heart, character, and conduct. And he, he went to the cross and there he swallowed up the wrath of God for everyone who would believe in him as a, a good man, as a, as a, a sinless substitute. He stood in the place of sinners that they might be reconciled to God. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. He was good, but all our badness was laid on him. The sins uh, of the flesh outwardly, but the sins of the heart uh, personally as well. It's impossible for the rich man to be saved. It's impossible for you to be saved. Impossible without a miracle. Without the miracle of grace without God breathing new life into you. But if God performs the miracle, a camel can pass through the eye of a needle. It's miraculous, but if God does it, it can be done. And a sinner can be granted eternal life and brought into heaven. You see what Jesus is saying? You must give up all reliance on yourself, all hope of saving yourself, and look to the only one who can perform that miracle and change your life. Look at verse 22. Go sell all that you have, then come and follow me. Follow me. Deal with your sin. Follow me, he says. Follow me. Become a disciple. Trust in me. You need a miracle in your life. And the miracle is a miracle of grace where God breaks into your life and puts the camel through the eye of the needle and puts you and me as sinners into the kingdom. The miracle that was needed, the question that was asked, the sin that was exposed, the miracle that was required. Lastly then, the reward that is promised. One of the the great questions that you might ask is this. Is it it worth it? it? Is it worth being a Christian? Well Peter loves Peter asked that question. I love Peter because he always opens his mouth before he puts his brain in gear. But uh, look at what he asked in verse 28, "See, we have left our homes and followed you." And he said to them, "Truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times more in this life and in the age to come eternal life." Notice. Um, and we know from the other Gospels that Jesus was speaking to the disciples at this particular point. He doesn't talk about riches, but he talks about relationships. It's true they had left their business, their nets to to follow him, uh, their tax-collecting booth to follow him. But generally, the disciples were from a poorer kind of background. But he talks about relationships. They had left their families to follow him. And he says, you, you, you give up parents and children and brothers and sisters and, and follow me. He says, you will be richly, adequately compensated in this life. You will receive many times more in in this time. And I think, I think at that point to the disciples, he's talking about relationships. He's not talking about financial reward. This isn't a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. He's, he's talking about the richness The richness of relationships that we experience as the children of God. But notice at the end, and in the age to come, eternal life. That's what the young man came asking about. He wanted eternal life. Jesus says, you follow me. You trust in me. You put your faith in me. He says, I'll grant you what the rich young man failed to get and grasp. I'll grant you eternal life. That's what he's saying. Isn't that wonderful? Absolutely glorious. Um, do you love him? Are you seeking to serve him? Are you trusting in him? Because salvation is impossible, absolutely impossible in and of yourselves. Are you asking the question this morning, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I want to tell you this morning, nothing. Nothing there's nothing you can do to merit the salvation of God because no one is good enough for God. But there is one. There is one, the Lord Jesus. And if you trust in Him, if you hang on His shirt tails, He can bring you into eternal life. Amen.